So greet you in the name of Jesus this morning and welcome each one and especially our visitors. It's good to have you here with us. So to continue from the last message, um, we started a journey of working our way through God's plan of salvation. And salvation, I have the thought of being saved. You often hear the phrase, I'm saved, or are you saved? And I think we had a message here once that maybe it's better to say that I'm being saved. Thought was given that it's a process that takes place until God calls us from this world. We're living in a sin-filled world, and there's potential to fall, but His grace is sufficient. And we do not need to lose that salvation. The other message was the Day of Atonement. And this message walks right alongside that one. Again, it does not have to do with us. But it's, again, the simple fact that God knew we were sinners in need of a Savior. And this was also just part of His plan for mankind. We understand that God had this in place before we were born, and as we as we look at these things that He put in place, starting in Genesis, like we did the last time, we start to realize that of ourselves, there's nothing we can do to earn this. You know, we don't, we can't do enough of good things. We can't say enough of good things. And even if we have the strength to live a life of integrity, without Jesus, I'm lost. And everyone needs to come to that realizing fact that without God and without accepting His plan, we are lost. The last message, the emphasis was on the work of Christ and His blood and that how that sin separates us from God. And I'm going to just take a quick moment to Go over a little bit of the, uh, pull out some of the main details of that message just to help us continue into this one. And we're again going to be starting in the Old Testament, working our way into the New Testament. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I never thought I would start in the Old Testament for the plan of salvation on these messages, but that's where, that's where God has taken me. And but the only problem with that is there is a lot of material to cover. If you want to cover Old Testament into the New Testament. So we're going to have to keep it moving and there'll be quite a bit of reading as well. <clears throat> we started in the garden and before sin, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. There seemed to be a communication with them that was like we would know possibly. And then sin. When that took place, there was a immediate veil that was put in place between God and man. That man had no way to get to God directly at that point after sin. And also at that moment, God made a plan for a Redeemer. And that He was preparing man through the Old Testament, pointing ahead to Jesus and what His death was going to accomplish and again, remember, the Old Testament is given to prepare and to point to better things. It's not just a, a bunch of filler to pass enough time till God was ready to send Jesus. 
It all had a place, a plan, and a purpose. We looked at Noah, how the world was exceedingly wicked and needed a Savior. But if Jesus would have come at that moment, we understand that at that point they did not understand or did not have the sacrificial system in place. And how would have they understood that Jesus was that perfect lamb that God sent? It wasn't until God called Abraham out of his country and began to prepare a people for Jesus. God called Moses out of Egypt, a type and figure of sin, and he gave him the sacrificial law and the instructions for the temple. And this temple contained a physical veil that separated man from God. And the high priest was the only one allowed to go behind this curtain on the Day of Atonement and never without blood to offer sacrifice for sins and sins of the people. And the blood that the high priest took behind the curtain was a type and figure of something better to come. Then fast forward to Jesus as he cried out to God on the cross and gave up the spirit. The day the Passover was taking place, possibly also the day of atonement, that veil was split from top to bottom, giving direct access to God. But there was also still something that needed to happen. And when that soldier walked up to Jesus and pierced his side and the blood and water flowed from his side, that blood is what we needed to continue to walk through that veil that was split open to be able to come in front of a holy God. Without blood, we could not do that. This blood was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And it was provided as the only way that we can come before a holy God. And it is by accepting this blood, it's sufficient in claiming it for ourselves. And it's the completion of something I could never do for myself. Message today is God's redeeming grace. It's about our redemption. And like I said before, the atonement message was the emphasis on the work of Christ. And what he accomplished with his blood, today we're going to look at what it means to me and to you. The meaning of redemption is to buy back, or to liberate, or to deliver. And I'm going to be starting in Leviticus 25, if you want to turn there. I'm first going to read a few other verses in the New Testament. These verses will show us the need of a Redeemer. And now that we can't do it ourselves. In Romans 7.14 We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Being sold to sin without recourse. Poor, lost, helpless, miserable mortal. Destined to be doomed forever. And Peter 1 Peter 1, 18, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, not according to his mercy, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So it's not by gold, silver, 
It's not by our works of righteousness. In Hebrews 10.1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the commerce without perfection. So the law was not good enough. There's no other avenue left for man but to turn back to God for his redeeming grace. For him to buy us back to himself, there was a separation when sin came into the garden and we need him to buy us back so we can be back into his family. Free us from our past life. Leviticus 25 is God's introduction to the redemption plan to his people by giving them instructions on how to redeem their brothers and by relatives, by buying them back, buying back their debt so that they would have another chance at a new beginning. Now I'm going to start with Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. Now shalt number seven Sabbath of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbath of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto thee, Unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. This was the first time the word jubilee was found in the Bible. It was God's intent that the Israelites would remain free from slavery and poverty for all times. So if there's those that face hard times, they would not live in poverty forever. It wouldn't be a generational poverty that would just continue. And neither would there become those that would become wealthy that would begin to rule over their brothers. And as we read through these verses, we'll see the reason is that the land and that the possessions were God's. They were not their own. And as we read more verses, you'll hear that. And for this reason, God wanted it to remain in the families of each of the tribes so that they would remain in existence. It was not theirs, it was God's, but they were there, they had uh, received it from God when it was divided out. It was to release slaves, and the forgiveness of debt, and the return of property. The Jubilee was the completion of seven Sabbath years. Every seventh year the land was not farmed, and when they got to the seventh sabbatical year, on the fiftieth year is when the Jubilee took place. And this year, every person, his possessions and his land was returned to him, and he could return back to his family. And the trumpet was sounded through all the land so that, th- so all would know that this is the Jubilee year. <coughs> and there was no farming in this year. And again, those that were purchased for payment for, for a debt that they owed that they couldn't pay were set free type of redemption through Jesus, giving us a new beginning if we receive him. And also the sound of the trumpets. 
Does that not sound like the return of Christ? To be set free, going home. Continue reading in, also in 25, we'll read from 23 to 28. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possessions ye shall grant a redemption for the land. And if thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which is which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof, restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of jubilee, and in the jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. <clears throat> if a man faces hard times or makes bad decisions and needs to sell his possessions or his land or both to someone to pay that debt, the selling is not referring to his his redeeming relative but it is to anyone it could be outside of relatives it could be a stranger or anybody but if he had a debt that he could not owe and he was forced to sell what he had or himself to that person that is when the relative the redeemer could step in and buy him back and purchase him back so he would pay the person that was owed the debt for his brother and could bring him back to the to the family. And the Redeemer would keep him in his possession and his things till the man got back on his feet and was able to buy himself back. And if he was not able to do that, it would come back to him in its entirety of the year of Jubilee. In this way, every generation had the opportunity again for a new start. <clears throat> Thirty-five to forty-three. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him, yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him or increase, but fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him the victuals for increase. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, or that could be a slave, but as an hired servant and as a sojourner, you shall be, he shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. And then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children, with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his father shall he return. For they are my servants, which I have brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondsmen. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shall fear thy God. Again, the same thing, but this is about selling himself. 
so that he can work and, and supply food for himself and for his family. And the one that bought him was instructed not to make him as a slave, but because he was a brother, he was to be a hired servant. Why was this? If you go back to verse 38 and 42. It says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. So God is telling the buyer that I have you, I am your God and I brought you forth out of Egypt. If you go down to 42, for they are my servants and I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They were equal. They were both in the land of Egypt without a way out. And God, God said, I brought you both out in the same way, no respecter of person, but offer freedom to all the people in Egypt, no matter what their status was in life. And what was Egypt? It was slavery. They had become slaves to the Egyptians. And they had no way to free themselves from the situation that they found themselves in. And I I never really thought of this before, but why didn't they move out of Egypt when they still could? We know the famine only lasted probably several years. Jacob... And his sons came to Egypt on the request of Joseph for easier life. Maybe that's why they stayed. It was easier there. And he would give them the best land and care for all their needs. And they had no desire to leave there. But as time moved on, as the pharaohs changed, they started demanding work out of them and made them into slaves. So here they were stuck in a heathen nation, a heathen country, with no way to free themselves. They had no strength in themselves to overcome them, the Egyptians, without an intervention from a mighty, powerful God. And they were all slaves. And God brought them all out. Not just some of them. And they all received freedom, but remained servants of God. And God kept reminding them this. That they were all in that same situation in Egypt. They were all in slavery and he freed them. What about mankind today? It doesn't matter in what family we were born into. We all have the need of a savior. You can write verses 47 to 55 down. It's a little more of the same. I'm just going to, for sake of time, I'm going to read the very last verse. Verse 55, yeah. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I have brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So hopefully as we as we walk through this passages here in Leviticus, you could pick out at least some things that point forward to the New Testament to better things. God had made a way that no person, no tribe would become permanent slaves to others and that poverty would not become something permanent and generational. If somebody was hit by hard times, made bad decisions, that he could be redeemed, bought back by relative. But there was something that had to take place first for this redeeming to happen. The one that found himself in a place of hard times had to humble himself and admit that he had come to the end of himself 
He had to realize that there was nothing more that he could do but to ask a relative to redeem him or he would become a slave forever to the one that bought him to clear his debt. He had to accept the redemption through somebody else. He had no money. He had lost all his possessions. But by allowing somebody to redeem him, he became a servant to him till the year of Jubilee when he would be set free. Can you see the Old Testament pointing towards better things? We find ourselves slaves to self and sin. We come to the same place that this man in the verses that we're reading and the Israelites in Egypt. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The only way to freedom was to humble ourselves and to reach out to our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, the one that understands everything. He understands everything we're facing and willing to purchase us with his blood and to redeem us from our miserable state that we are in. Psalms 49, 6-9. And you don't have to turn there if you don't want. But the psalmist writer is looking ahead to something more than what they were experiencing at that point. Psalms 49, 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. And he should still live forever and not see corruption. The psalmist was able to see beyond the current law to something better. No man could redeem another man from the grave. But the redemption of the soul was precious. And he pointed ahead to the blood of Jesus being the only chance of redemption from the grave. And through that man would not have to see corruption. And Isaiah had uh, words to, to say as well, looking ahead. Isaiah 61.1 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I'm going to stop there. And these words might sound familiar. When Isaiah spoke them, it was a prophecy. Then in Luke 4, 16 to 21, Jesus confirmed them. And I think this is what Roderick was referring to this morning. Luke 4, 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them in the synagogue were fastened on him. 
And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. The message of deliverance, setting captives free. Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus confirmed it. Jesus came to give liberty, to give freedom, to set free those that are bound by sin, those who are slaves to the vices of Satan. Jesus purchased us with his blood, and through this redemption, we are brought back to the family of God, the way God designed it back in creation, so we can be part of his family again. And to preach acceptable year of the Lord, this referring back to the verses in Leviticus where God gave the year of Jubilee. And I don't know if you remember when I was reading those verses on which day of the month that the Jubilee happened. And I may have alluded to it a little bit. But this happened and began on the year, on the day of atonement. The very day that all the people were fasting and praying for their own sins, And the priest went behind the veil to the Holy of Holies with the blood to offer for their sins. The type of precious blood that in the fullness of time would be offered by the high priest, Jesus, for the redemption of the world. And it was this day in the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, that God told them to set every man free. If you redeemed his possessions and his land, or if he became your servant, they were to set them free and give them, give back to him what was his. It was a new beginning. He was set free from what had bound him to the, that situation where he lost everything. A type and figure of where we are without Christ. What happens when we're set free by his redeeming blood? Now I didn't do a lot of research into this, but the thought came out that Jesus' crucifixion took place in the year of Jubilee. And it could be a very good possibility of redemption for all. So if that is what happened, it was the Passover, the Day of Atonement, the year of Jubilee, and Jesus' death all on the same day of the calendar, the Jewish calendar. We serve an awesome God. A God of order. There's one thing I like to go back to the verses in Leviticus and look at, and that is the the thought when we talk about liberty and freedom in Christ. What does this look like? Is it possible to use this for our own destruction? And I don't know how many time how many of you noticed the word servant and how often it came out in these verses. Not always in the exact word, but in that context. The land shall not be sold forever. The land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. So they were servants on God's land. I am the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan, to be your God. So if he was their God, they were his servants. For they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondsmen or slaves. And then 55 is the one that stuck out to me. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I have brought forth out of the land of Egypt. 
I am the Lord your God. So are we as Christians living in liberty and freedom? Or are we still servants, as God told the children of Israel? Or can it be both? I like illustrations. I know you can only take them so far, but sometimes it can help, especially for younger ones here, children. And as I was studying, I, I kept coming back to the, the picture of a slave. And we, we know there was slavery here in the States before it was abolished. Picture with me a slave that is bought by a cruel man who does not care about his life or his health or anything else, but only demands that he works for him. He gives him more work than what a man can accomplish in a day and is beaten, starved. And he has nothing that would allow him to purchase his way out of this situation. His strength is leaving him. He knows running away is not going to work because of his uh, failing strength. He has no provisions. He has nothing in his power to change the situation he's in. Does this sound like Egypt? Does this sound like the clutches of sin? And as his strength leaves him, his owner sees that he's not worth the food that he is giving him. So he decides to sell him. And he takes him to the auction where slaves are bought and sold and leaves him there in this little holding cell, much like a prison. And the only thing he can think of as he's sitting there waiting is that the cruel master that was selling him, which brought total hopeless feelings to him. And after he was sold in the ring, he's taken back to the same holding cell, having no idea who purchased him. And the feelings are almost overwhelming. What was he going to face in the days ahead? As he sat in fear, the door opens and he looks into the face of a man that looks so kind and loving. And the first words he hears is, I purchase you. Then he calls him out of the cell and continues to talk. He said, I purchase you to set you free, to give you liberty. And what relief and joy this man had felt. But his new owner kept talking. He said, you have two choices. You can take this liberty and freedom and go live to yourself which will ultimately lead to destruction where you can come and be my servant. If you decide to do your own thing, I will not have anything to do with you. I will not supply your needs. But if you become my servant, I will take care of all your needs. I will wash and treat your wounds. I will feed you. I will clothe you. And if you stay with me, I will adopt you as my son. And you will be an heir of my kingdom. And on top of all this, if you stay with me till the end of your life, I will give you a mansion to live in that I am preparing for you right now. And what will his decision be? 
What will I, or what will you, do with Jesus? Whose servant will you be? Turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6, 15 to 23. To continue that thought. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members servants to the righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You will be a servant to someone, either a servant to sin or a servant unto righteousness. What is a servant unto righteousness? Verse 17 says, When you choose to obey from the heart the doctrine which was delivered to you, what was the doctrine? It was this exact plan of salvation that we're talking about this morning, that they were told about. They were in sin before they received that doctrine. But they were freed from that, and they became servants of righteousness. Verse 22, through Jesus, we will receive freedom and liberty from sin. Because of that, we want to become a servant of God. Our love for God becomes so strong that we don't even think of it as a servant. But rather, it is a privilege to serve Him. So to answer my question, are we servants or are we free? Or can it be both? And yes, it can be both. Freedom from sin, but a servant to God. 1 Corinthians 7, 21-24, as a few more thoughts on this. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, for if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. 
Again, it even mentions the Lord's free man, but being a servant of Christ. There are many verses in the New Testament on the redemptive blood of Christ, of Jesus. And I'm just going to just read over 1 Peter 1, 18-20 again. But I hope this, as we as we looked in the Old Testament, I hope it comes alive for you as it did for me. And, and I get a better picture of God in the Old Testament is the same God that we see in the New Testament. Sometimes that is so hard to get a hold of as we're reading through the Old Testament and how things were laid out. But if you look at it as a picture, as, a, as something better, God had something in place that was showing them something that was coming that would be better. First Peter 1.18, I'm going to read that again. For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I'd like to look at four points here as we as we close. And it's uh, four different categories of people for whom this redemption was for. Number one, it was for the Old Testament saints. And I am going to read a few verses in Hebrews 9 for that. Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament or Old Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. <clears throat> Jesus was the high priest that offered that final sacrifice, not with the blood of goats, the goats that never satisfied, but they had to be offered over and over and over again every year. But he offered his own blood that covered for sins, for our sins and the sins of the Old Testament saints. Those who were obedient to God's law, his blood now did what the blood of animals could not do, but because of their obedience in doing the required blood sacrifices, they too received the promise of eternal life. Number two, for the New Testament saints. 
Hebrews 9.28 So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them they took for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He was going to come back again and wasn't going to be dealing with sin, but he was going to come back and receive those that were waiting for him. Titus 2.14 Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar, peculiar people, zealous of good works. And here we get a glimpse, if we continue this series, that we do have a part to play in our salvation. Not in the plan, but in the ongoing work of our salvation. He talks about a purified people, peculiar people, zealous of good works. Good works are part of that. Number three, he came for the wicked. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, or the righteous man for the unrighteous person, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And number four, he came. The redemption was for all the world. And we're going to close with these verses. You can turn to them. Revelations 5. <coughs> there are verses that Daryl touched on when he was here. They might look familiar. I'd like to read chapter 5 from 1 to 9. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with the seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And we had taken the book, and the four beasts, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Jesus died for everyone, not just those that choose to follow him, 
His offer is the same for every single person. If you look at verse 5 and the description that is given there of Jesus with the horns and the eyes, I don't, I can't tell you this morning what that's going to look like or what Jesus is going to look like. But don't get stuck on that description. It says that he's going to, we're going to see him as a slain lamb. We're going to know who he is. And we will worship him just as the, the four and twenty elders did there. <clears throat> and the thought that as I read through this verse, number seven stands for completion and horns would stand for power. So we can say that he is all powerful, complete powerful. And the seven eyes would be of all wisdom, complete wisdom. There will be no other person or being in heaven that will have these same qualities. And my question again to us this morning, what will you do with Jesus? Will you choose a life, freedom to self? Will you choose a life, freedom from sin and be a servant of God? One, if you choose him, he will heal all your past bruises. He will clothe you. He will feed you. He will adopt you. And you will be heir to his kingdom. And ultimately, he will build you a mansion that you can possess throughout all eternity. Choose Jesus.